Matthew 14, reading from verse 22 to 33. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed him, he went up onto a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? When they had climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Here ends the reading. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we approach your word, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be with us, guiding us, illuminating the text to us, helping us to understand you better. This we ask in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, last year, a university in California conducted an annual study to uncover the top 10 fears of Americans in 2021. Researchers took a random sample of more than 1,000 adults from across the United States to participate in the survey. Now, participants were asked to rank their fears from a wide range of topics, such as the environment, the government, disaster, and disease. Interestingly, what the findings revealed was that for the sixth consecutive year in a row, the number one fear for Americans was corrupt government officials. Second on the list was people I love dying, which is what I thought would take priority. That was followed by a loved one contracting COVID then we had one, uh, a loved one becoming seriously ill, widespread civil unrest, a pandemic or a major epidemic, the economy collapsing, cyber terrorism, pollution, and finally, biological warfare. Now, if we were to ask a group of children to compile a similar list of fears, I imagine it would be uh, a little different. We might 
they they may say uh, the fear of a loved one dying sure but that might be second to fear of ghosts or werewolves or uh, monsters under the bed or falling into a pit of quicksand but what the study reveals at least for the adults was that all their fears were grounded in re reality and more than that they were largely inevitable people feared what they knew was unavoidable loved ones will die they're now saying that at some point everyone's going to get COVID. family members will become seriously ill many of us have already experienced this and some of us are experiencing it right now civil unrest seems to be forever increasing in likelihood every week we're warned about another pandemic another uh, epidemic and the response to which could very easily trigger an economic or financial collapse if wars with Russia or China don't achieve that first. The more dependent we are on computers, the more likely it is we'll be subject to cyber terrorism. The list goes on. Life is filled with many things that can trigger our fears. There are many things in life that can cause us to be anxious about tomorrow. But whether those fears are rational or, in, or irrational, they can and they often do have a serious and significant impact on our lives today. And hasn't the past two years profoundly demonstrated that to all of us? The fear of COVID, it turned our lives upside down, it turned the world upside down and it continues to do so today. Not merely the virus itself, but the measures and the lengths that we're willing to go to as a nation to avoid catching or spreading that virus. For the past two years, fear has been a controlling master over the lives of many individuals in our society. Now, that is not to criticise sensible precautions. Whenever risk is involved, wisdom is necessary. Wisdom is a God-given gift. It's why we look both ways before crossing a highway. It's why we wear a helmet when we ride a bike. It's why we watch our young children when they're swimming in the pool. In fact, we see this principle in God's law. When the Lord commands the Israelites in Deuteronomy 22, verse 8, saying, when you build a new house, you must build a railing around the edge of its flat roof that you may not bring the guilt of blood upon your house if anyone should fall, for, fall from it. Precaution guided by wisdom is good and it's godly and it preserves and it protects life. But we must all ask ourselves, is this what's guiding our life today? Is it precaution guided by godly wisdom that determines our actions? Or are our anxieties mastering us? Are our fears controlling us? Does fear for tomorrow dictate the course of our lives today? Does it determine the decisions we make, the things we do, the things we don't do? In other words, are we enslaved to fear? Many people in this world are. Most people in this world are. The author of Hebrews tells us of those who, through a fear of death, 
a subject. Subject to what? Lifelong slavery. Through fear of death, they're subject to lifelong slavery. Fear can be a powerful enslaving force. It's no surprise then to find repeated throughout the Bible verses telling us to fear not. It's not just a wish you well command either. It is a divine command. It's a divine command, which means to do the opposite of that command is to disobey God. Yes, God has commanded us not to murder, not to commit adultery, not to steal, but he's also commanded us to fear not. In fact, the command to fear not is the most frequently issued imperative in all scripture. It's said that the command appears 365 times, one for every day of the year, so there's no excuse, whatever the day is. We are commanded not to fear. Why is the command to fear not so prevalent? Why is it used so often throughout the Bible? We have to ask ourselves, what is fear? Fear is a failure to do exactly what God has commanded us to do. The reason he tells us to fear not is because fear is a product of doubt. We've been commanded to believe, more specifically, to believe the promises of God. That's why when he commands us to fear not, it's issued often with a reason, with a basis for why it is we should not fear. Imagine for a moment that you were bitten by a snake. You weren't sure what kind of snake it was. There was a possibility that it was venomous and deadly. Now, I think most of us in that situation would be filled with fear, fear of the uncertainty. Am I going to survive? But suppose the doctor arrived and he came up to you and he simply said, don't fear. I don't know about you, but that would not be enough to assure me that my fears were misplaced. But what if that doctor said, don't fear? We found the snake, it wasn't venomous, and it's only a small graze anyway. You see, the reason, the reason quiets the fears. Just like a child in the night who was afraid of a dark object in his room until the lights are turned on and that threatening object becomes a pile of clothes. Child has no reason to fear a pile of clothes. Reason masters the fear and so it is with god we're repeatedly commanded to fear not but we're also often told why we should not fear fear not for i am with you genesis 26 verse 24 fear not for i am with you be not dismayed for i am your god isaiah 41 verse 10 fear not i'm the one who helps you declares the Lord, Isaiah 41, verse 14. Fear not, for I am with you, Isaiah 43, verse 5. Or as Jesus put it, do not fear, only believe. Do not fear, believe. 
if we're fearing, we're not believing, not as we ought to. It's the opposite of believing God. It's believing something other than God. Oftentimes, fear is simply the belief that God is not with us, that he doesn't really care for us, or that he's not working all things according to the counsel of his will, Ephesians 1 verse 11, and that he's not working all things for the good of those who love him, Romans 8, 28. Fear is the belief that our circumstances are not governed by the hand of a sovereign, good and loving God. When the Lord says, fear not, for I am with you, we usually reply without words, yes, but this particular situation is bigger than you are loving, more powerful than you are sovereign, more painful than you are merciful. That's a trap that we can all fall into because it's easier to fear the things that we see than to believe the things that we can't see. We can see cancer. We can see the injury, we can see the bank account, we can see the danger, we can see the virus, we can see the war, and we can see death. But Emmanuel, God with us, it's harder to see sometimes. In the midst of our troubles, it's far easier to fix our eyes on what is seen than what is unseen. But when we do that, The circumstances themselves become our fear. The circumstances become our dread. And suddenly we find ourselves enslaved. You see now why Paul says the Christian must walk by faith, not by sight. Faith is the assurance of things that are hoped for. It is the conviction of things that are not seen. Hebrews 11. Verse 1, to walk by faith is to live your life in such a way that it's controlled by a trust in God. It's shaped by conviction of the beliefs, the belief in God's promises. It's not driven about by doubt and uncertainty. To fear not then is to believe, to believe the promises of God, not the threats of the enemy, not the threats of the circumstances and not the threats of a diagnosis. We just read the well-known account in Matthew 14 of Jesus walking on the water. And we're told there in verse 22 that Jesus made his disciples get into a boat, sail across the lake ahead of him. Now, of course, the disciples simply assumed that when he was finished doing what he was going to do, he would get in a boat and then join them on the other side. But as evening came, a storm hit. And as the disciples were struggling against the waves, They looked out and they saw Jesus walking towards them on the water. Matthew tells us they were terrified at the sight. They thought they were seeing a ghost. But Jesus called out to them and he said, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. In other words, fear not. I am with you. It's me. It was at this point that Peter responded to Jesus and he said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come out onto the water. And so Jesus said to him, come. 
Peter climbed out of the boat and he walked on the water towards Jesus. And as he was walking, Matthew tells us that Peter began to take his eyes off Jesus. And when he saw the wind and when he saw the waves, he was filled with fear. Now, Jesus had specifically said, do not be afraid. Before Peter got out of the boat, Jesus said, do not be afraid. But Peter began to walk by sight instead of faith. When he saw the storm, when he felt the wind, he was fearful. And being fearful, he began to sink. If things appeared bad before, his fear only made the situation worse. In his desperation, we're told he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him. And what was it that Jesus said to Peter? How did Jesus respond? You of little faith, why did you doubt? Peter's fear was evidence of a lack of faith. Peter had good reason not to fear the storm. Not only was he given a command to not be afraid, he was given the assurance that it was Jesus who was out there in the storm with him. What's more, Peter had already experienced something very similar to this before. Luke records an earlier incident in which Jesus and the disciples were crossing a lake together. In chapter 8, we're told that as they were crossing the lake, a storm hit and it was so severe that the disciples were terrified that the boat was going to break up and sink. At the time, however, Jesus was fast asleep in the boat. In a panic, in distress, the disciples woke Jesus up, saying, Master, Master, we're perishing. They were terrified. They were afraid. And Jesus got up. He rebuked the wind. He rebuked the raging seas and they ceased and there was complete calm. But Jesus then turned to the disciples after rebuking the wind, after rebuking the seas, he rebuked them. There was chaos outside of the boat. Jesus' command brought order. But there was chaos inside of the boat too. So after rebuking the wind, after rebuking the sea, Jesus looked at his disciples in verse 25. He said, where is your faith? According to Jesus, their fear of the storm was the evidence of a lack of trust in Christ, of a lack of faith in God. And just like that, we're told that their fear of the storm was gone. The disciples were no longer scared of the storm because that fear was now somewhere else. They had a different kind of fear. They now had a righteous fear. It wasn't the circumstances that they were terrified of. They were fearful of Jesus. Luke tells us the disciples were afraid. And they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this? That he commands even the wind and the water, and they obey him. 
If they were fearful of the power of the wind and the waves, how much more so should they fear him who has the power over the wind and over the waves? See, what Luke is telling us here is that when God says, fear not, what he means is that we, sh- we shouldn't fear anything more than we fear God. If a fear of anything greater than God demonstrates an absence of faith in God, then the fear of God will result in an absence of fear of anything else. If we fear God, how can we fear anything in his hands? The fear that God commands us to master is a fear that a sovereign, good and loving God is not in complete control of the circumstances. To fear is to believe that your life is dictated by the circumstances around you and not Christ, that your fate is ultimately determined by the storm that you're in and not the Lord who says, fear not, I am with you in the storm. So a fearful disobedience then is evidence of doubt. What's the evidence of faith? If fearful disobedience is the evidence of doubt, what is the evidence of faith? The evidence of faith is the opposite of fearful disobedience. The evidence of faith would look like courageous obedience, courage in the face of the storm, courage in response to the threat. Not blind or foolish courage, but a faith in God who's called you out into the storm, who at any moment can quiet that storm with a word. What that means is every moment that the storm continues, whatever the storm may be, it persists by the sovereign will of our good and loving God. You see, Jesus could have stopped that storm before Peter got out of the boat. But what need would there then be for Peter's strong, courageous obedience inspired by his faith? Be strong and courageous, just like the command to fear not. It's repeated throughout the Bible. Be strong and courageous, don't fear, do not be in dread, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you, Deuteronomy 31 verse 6. Be strong and courageous, I will be with you, Deuteronomy 31, 23. Be strong and courageous, don't be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go, Joshua 1 verse 9. Be strong and courageous, do not fear, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God Even my God is with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. 1 Chronicles 28 verse 20. Be strong and courageous, King Hezekiah said to the people of Judah. Do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria and all the horde that is with them. And he gives them the reason. For there are more with us than with them. With him is the arm of the flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. 2 Chronicles 32, verse 7. Like the disciples on the boat, when we rightly view God, we rightly fear 
God. When we rightly fear God as sovereign over all, even over our circumstances, over our enemies, then what room is there left to fear our circumstances, to fear our enemies? Whatever our situation may be, God says, fear not, I am with you. It's not surprising that this is the very last promise that Matthew records Jesus giving the disciples before his ascension into heaven. What does Jesus tell them? Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It's something that the Bible is constantly reminding us of because it's something that we need to be constantly reminded of. We're certainly no better than the disciples. Although Jesus is with us in the boat, how often does the storm around us still control our fears? In fact, it may be so bad at times that we feel that the Lord is asleep, that he's unaware of what we're going through. Fear is crippling. Fear is disabling. And the enemy knows that too. Peter, the same Peter, went on to warn in his epistle, Christians, be sober-minded, be watchful, because the adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, 1 Peter 5, verse 8. Now, obviously, he's not speaking physically here. He's speaking spiritually. It's not our flesh and blood that Satan wants to devour. It is our faith. And so fear is often used as a weapon of the enemy. It's this way spiritually and it's this way physically. And this should be obvious to us. Fear has proven an effective weapon throughout history. Fear affords an army a significant advantage in battle. The history books show us that almost everything has been attempted to achieve that end, whether it's intimidation through sheer numbers, face paint, screams of madmen, beating of drums, waving banners, fighting completely naked. Everything's been tried for the end of instilling fear in the enemy. It's an important part of battle. It's a crucial weapon of war. Because if your enemy is fearful, if your enemy is uncertain, doubtful, they lack confidence, they lack courage and boldness, they're far less likely to take risks. It's why sports coaches give pep talks before the game or at halftime. The point is to boost morale because that can change or determine the end. To fear prior to the battle is to mentally forfeit before the fight. And the same is true spiritually. If the enemy is to exploit our anxieties about tomorrow, our fears about the future, he will do this by undermining the promises of God and replacing them with an expectation of something worse. As a result, not only does our faith in God diminish, but so too does our usefulness in his kingdom. Fear is a weapon. But if it's a weapon that can be used against us, what then is our defense? Has God left us defenseless against these attacks? How do we combat fear? 
How do we protect ourselves from the enemy's assaults? Well, Paul tells us exactly in Ephesians 6, verse 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of what? Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. It's a shield. It's defensive. But it doesn't just deflect the enemy's attack. Paul says it extinguishes them. It puts them out. It ends them. It quenches them. In other words, we kill fear through faith. A large flame might cause a droplet to evaporate but much water will extinguish the fire completely. In the same way, much fear can frighten off a little, a little faith. We saw it with the disciples. But much faith will extinguish fear. To trust in God is to fear nothing else. David said, the Lord is my light, my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 27. What's the implied answer here? No one. David should be afraid of no one if the Lord is with him. Again, the psalmist says, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Well, of course, man can do a lot of things to him. He's not claiming to be invincible. Instead, he's affirming the truth that we've been talking about from the start. Fear not, for I am with you. George Whitfield brilliantly put it this way. We are immortal until our work is done. It doesn't matter how ferocious the storm is. It doesn't matter how many enemies come up against us, whether it's Russia or China or our next door neighbor or some other earthly power. We can say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Psalm 23, this is what it means to trust in Jesus' promise when he said, I am with you always. Robert Murray McShane once said, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. Do you believe that? Do not fear those who kill the body, Jesus said, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you who to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed the body, has authority to cast you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. To fear God is to fear nothing else, not circumstances, not enemy, not the storm around us, not the inevitable, not corrupt politicians, not COVID, not sickness, and not death. It's easy to say, it's not easy to do. It's an ongoing fight. It's an ongoing battle. That's why the Bible uses imagery of war. It's a shield of faith. That we must hold on to that shield of faith. And we must believe that whatever the world throws at us, that there is a God in heaven who does all that he pleases that there's a God in heaven who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that there is a God in heaven who does everything for the good of those who love him.
Do we believe that? Then fear not. And when we are tempted to do otherwise, let us remember the words of the prophet Isaiah that we read earlier. The Lord of hosts, him you shall honour as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would constantly remind us that this world is not outside of your control, that we should be fearful of you and we should be well aware that everything that comes our way must come past you. Lord, you are sovereign, you are gracious and you are merciful. And when we experience evil in this world, let us take comfort in your mercy and in your grace. Help us, Lord, when it is difficult to understand what you're doing or why you're doing it. Help us then to trust in your wisdom, to lean not on our own understanding, but to trust that you work all things for our good even painful things. Lord, give us greater faith in you, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.